Welcome to MediaPost's Brand Insider. I'm your host, Steve Smith, Editorial Director of Events here at MediaPost. Each week, we interview marketing leaders from companies old and new about how they build and evolve their brands on an unpredictable media and culture terrain. In addition to this full audio interview in podcast form, we also publish a companion newsletter with highlights from the Q&A. MediaPost has been covering marketing and media news for over 20 years. You can find the Brand Insider Weekly as well as our daily coverage at MediaPost.com. Now, let's get into it. Let's welcome to the Brand Insider, Kayla Roken, who is the VP of Marketing at Trek Brands, a purveyor of cannabis-based products in the Canadian market. Trek is only a few years old, but it has already established several smokable and edible cannabis brands. And we'll discuss how the company targets distinct consumer segments with different branding and packaging. Kayla came to Trek from a Canadian medicinal and recreational cannabis brand, CanTrust, but before that spent six years with a very different CPG legacy company, General Mills. So Kayla went from marketing Lucky Charms to marketing Pot, which frankly, this former 70s hippie can tell you are not as disconnected as you may think. I recall Lucky Charms was exactly the kind of midnight munchie we would reach for after passing the bong. Kayla, welcome. Thank you. I would say mine was Cinnamon Toast Crunch, also ah, a lovely okay. General Mills product. <laughs> Well, I have to confess, I I think I'm probably a lot older than you. It's been more than 30 years since I last toked. Um, and although I have been told and assured that the THC levels of today's weed is much higher than the stem-filled crap I used to smoke, uh, I'm a neophyte in the world of cannabis marketing. Um, I remember the day when marketing was, uh, you got a loose J. Um, so that was that was the, and, and it was all hand-to-hand and one-to-one marketing. So I'm going to ask asking you to educate us a little bit. First of all, explain to us a little bit about, I know you have to explain the the Canadian context, especially here, but explain the way Trek works in the supply chain because you don't actually touch the product itself. So explain to us how that works. Absolutely. So to to explain how it works, I am going to explain a little bit about the Canadian landscape. Um, So when Canada legalized uh, marijuana for recreational use on October 17, 2018, um, to be able to uh, sell the product, you had to have what's called a, you had to have a a cannabis license. So we refer to those organizations as licensed producers, which means they're licensed to grow, to process, and to sell to our provincial boards. Um, In Canada, we're set up with a number of provinces similar to US states. And um, each of those provinces has its own uh, regulatory body. And the licensed producer has to sell directly to the regulatory body who then wholesales it to the retail dispensaries you see um, on the streets. So uh, what we saw at that moment in time, and as you mentioned, I was with a licensed producer at the start of my cannabis career, um, is that there were a ton of licensed producers out there who were growing an insane amount of pot. There is more product in inventory with these licensed producers than you can imagine. And the reason is that a lot of it is lower quality or of a or of a quality that a current consumer wouldn't be interested in. And so as uh, Trek came to be a bit later in the game, um, what we saw was that um, there was this opportunity 
for companies to come in and purchase products that were the right fit for their consumer. So instead of being, um, let's call it manufacturing or cultivation first and focusing on what grows best in your um, current environment, which is the way the LPs were operating, what has the highest yield, what they can grow for the lowest cost per gram, we came at it from a different perspective. We said, you know what, what does the consumer want? How do we, instead of being constrained by a big greenhouse or grow facility, how do we go out there, find a consumer niche, build a brand based on this consumer, and then purchase product from these LPs who are already growing on our behalf and get it out into the marketplace. So, so you're, a brand, brand, you're a brand building company, really. Exactly. We are a brand building company. Within the cannabis supply chain, we own the brand building, the direct-to-consumer marketing, the direct-to-retail marketing, um, and the sales operation. We actually never touch the product. We mm -hmm. license our brands to those licensed producers so that they and their quality and legal and regulatory teams can make sure the product follows the proper path. Um, but we actually don't touch that part of the supply chain. And we were one of the first in Canada to do so. So it has mm. been really interesting building up that capability within the Canadian landscape. So let's let's uh, talk about those brands because I know that you guys have three major brands. And what I found interesting when I first heard about this was how each targets a very different kind of cannabis consumer. So, um, and I'm fascinated at the different ways in which people are coming into this market and starting to break down into segments. So give us the quick thumbnails on what these three brands are and how they're actually targeting three different, not only consumers, but three different ways of consuming cannabis. Absolutely. So the first brand I will talk about is Blist. You can find us at b.blist on Instagram. And it is all about wellness. It's focused on high CBD, not necessarily consumers who are looking to get really high, but those who are looking to relax at the end of the day. Um, it's based on this insight that today's consumer, and not just cannabis consumer, but today's person, I should say, uh, is feeling a lot of pressure from, you know, we've heard about the pressures that so, so social media puts on people. Um, we've seen the pressures even prior to COVID of balancing life and work and all the um, pressures of society. And a lot of people come home at the end of the day and they're relaxing with a glass of wine or in some cases an Ativan, which we are not going to judge here, but don't recommend. Um, so CBD and uh, our products under the Bliss brand have this opportunity to give people what we believe is a healthier way to relax at the end of the day, to reduce anxiety, to escape. Um, and so we really focus on products that are not combustible so that you don't smoke because we don't think that that's a huge boon to wellness, but things like uh, tinctures, so oils, um, we're coming out with topicals and edibles that can just help you relax at the end of the day. Uh, and the this is more, is this yeah. more female, this is more female skewed? Absolutely. Because the, the site, when I go to the site, skewed. it's very pastel, bluey, and, and pinky. You got it. It's yeah. absolutely more female skewed. I always hesitate to call that out as the first, you know, psychographic mm -hmm. demographic behind the brand because we do want to be inclusive and you never right. know who will be feeling that thing in that moment. 
Um, but yes, I agree that it is 100% more female skewed. And a lot of the research that we did as we were developing our insights and trying to find that right uh, niche in the market was that women especially are feeling intense burnout right now. And but, I mean, I think that's been exacerbated mm. with COVID, but even prior to with all the pressures they're seeing on social media to like be the boss babe, the, mm. that hashtag boss babe, which, you know, is, is out there, but then also be like a great mom and take care of their maybe aging parents. You know, like they're going through all of this stuff right now. Um, and they're looking for healthy ways to practice self-care and take a moment for themselves. And the Bliss brand really tries to deliver on that. There is at least one smokable there, though, isn't there? Because I, I thought yes. I saw a pre-roll joint in there and it comes in a cute little uh, almost lipstick-like case, which I just thought, you, I mean, just re you've redefined the whole idea of a loose J. <laughs> yeah, you got it. So we do have a high CBD joint. It's um, a two-to-one called Beach. And it's actually been quite popular. And this is, you know, one of the things as I talk about, you know, some of the lessons we've learned is this idea of, you know, constant change and constantly measuring and reevaluating everything from product to brand positioning as this brand new market grows. Um, and, you know, we had an opportunity to find, we found a really high quality product and, it was a fit for that moment of escape and relax uh, with its high CBD um, with a little bit of THC uh, profile. Um, so we launched it and it's actually doing quite well right now. So while we still believe that, you know, staying away from smokable or not having it as like the core of the brand is important, mm -hmm. we want to have an option for those that are looking for, you know, an easy to smoke joint because sometimes that's just what you need. Um, yeah, the, the, the can curious, as you might say. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and what I would say is, you know, for us, we believed at the outset of the industry that the can of curious would come in at a much faster pace than they actually have. And hmm. um, we thought that, you know, people now that it was legal, people would join and it would become a part of their behavior. And as we all know, as marketers, changing people's routine and changing people's perception of something when it's been ingrained into you, how evil it is, um, is actually quite difficult. So while this is a brand that I'm hugely passionate about for the long term, and it has some unbelievable products underneath it, what we realized is we needed a brand that spoke to 90% of the market. And, you know, 18% of Canadian consumers uh, are daily consumers. Let's and go, oh, while Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Sorry. I wanted to, I wanted to back up because I that first point that you made that the the rush of the can of curious was not as great as you anticipated. Let's 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 drill into that a little bit. Um, there was not. Were you, are you saying there was not quite the pent up demand that you would have expected? Yeah. So you know, at the outset of the industry, which. Um, was driven a lot by the capital markets and investments and um, essentially, you know, people looking to make a click back. Um, there were all a ton of research done and hundreds of reports put out by the big banks in Canada and in the US um, and other massive research firms. And they anticipated that the market would be at this point um, much larger than what it is. And that was because of this influx of consumers who in their research said, you know, if it's legal, yeah, I think I'll try it. But then when it actually push came to shove, essentially, it was legalized. They're not stepping foot inside a dispensary door. Huh. 
So it's been very interesting to see, you know, not to say that there's no growth. We have 100% seen growth in the industry. Um, Even if I just look at, you know, the latest numbers I have are from December 2020. And we saw um, about 161% growth versus last December. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there is growth in the industry. It is growing, but it's just not from that can of curious consumer in as large numbers as we thought. So let, let's cover the other brands because those are yeah. interesting in their own right. You've got a sort of a party brand, right? Yeah. So, you know, knowing that we we knew as any company should, we want to be a house of brands. We have to diversify. So Wink is definitely our brand that I would say is more for um, the it's more of a social experience, but it's also for that consumer that sees themselves as or takes a lot of places a lot of value in being like the one in the know. They want to recommend it to their friends. They want to be, you know, the first with something. Um, And it's because of that, under that brand, we have a lot of unique cultivars um, and a lot of limited edition drops. So products that you won't see again. And one of the big benefits to us in launching this brand is we actually partnered with a huge nightlife, um, you know, restaurant and club organization in one of the biggest cities in Canada, in Toronto. Um, and they, you know, as we talk about marketing learnings, they helped us launch this brand in a huge way because we can only target a legal age audience, which in Canada is either 18 or 19, depending on the province that you're in. And all of their venues are age gated. So being able to know that you're getting into a club and you can talk freely with anyone in this massive venue um, about your product was a huge boon to us. So it helped us grow the Wink brand in a massive way among those people who are looking for new, exciting social experiences, love the nightlife, are looking for kind of the next cool thing, really helped us grow brand awareness and affinity among our target. And and packaging is really important for this brand because the pre- sort of the, the presentation of it is part of the prestige too, right? Yeah. So this is somewhere that in Canada specifically we struggle with in a huge way. So um, we, along with a number of our, I'm going to call them competitors, but partners within the industry, um, have been working to fix our or fix um, update our packaging laws. But right now. All packaging for any cannabis touching product has to be child proof, um, cannot be have any kind of metallics on it, cannot have any neon colors. The logo has to be a very specific size, and that's the only brand mark allowed on it. Uh, all the labels have to be a solid color. So it is actually really hard to differentiate packaging. Okay. Mm-hmm. especially to your point in a brand like this, where packaging and the unboxing experience matters. Mm-hmm. So what we've done is two things. Firstly, we launched a line of, I'm going to call them excess cannabis accessories that are beautifully packaged. They're mm-hmm. gold. The packaging is sleek. It's soft touch, like everything you would imagine um, from unpackaging a beautiful piece of jewelry or technology. Um, and we help to communicate our brand positioning in that way. And then, you know, one of the biggest places to market in Canada is, and I mean, everywhere probably, is Mm in-store. So what we've done is created glorified packaging for our in-store displays and visual merchandising that really communicate how we want our packaging to look, what would happen in the ideal world. And we have to work closely with our retail partners and our 
um, content and communications team to make sure that our consumers aren't disappointed when they get the package at the end of the day that actually isn't that pretty, to be honest. So that's so, something that's very mm -hmm. different in the cannabis world versus CPG mm -hmm. that we've had to navigate through. I want to I want to move into the field marketing piece to this in a second, but let's let's make sure we cover that that third brand. Yeah, absolutely. So Thumbs Up is the brand we created for essentially that 18%. Those consumers who are 18% of the mark of like consumers, but actually 90% of the market. Like they mm. capture they they have huge purchasing power because they're smoking every day. And this product is honestly just about super high quality, which to our consumer means um, honestly, high THC and the plant is treated with loving care for a fair price. They're buying in bulk. So we have to make sure that our product doesn't break the bank. And that's the key value proposition. And the one thing that I do just want to add before we dive into field marketing, because I think it'll play a big role, is our key differentiator, which is, you know, what we've heard about building up this industry is how important it is to give back. And for our brands, 10% of the profits from every single thing we sell actually goes back to the community. And um, being able to talk to those charitable organizations, get involved with them, um, has really helped differentiate us in this market. Yeah, I wanted to, to spend a second on that idea of differentiation, since you've got all of these challenges around packaging, around advertising too, because you're very limited in, in where you can advertise and how you can advertise, where and how the differentiation takes place. So um, I would say two places. First, it takes place at the store level, which is hard at this point in time because we're very shut down in Canada with, due to COVID. However, um, the people working in the store level, your retail staff are the number one person, like they're your number one sales driver. They're the key opinion leader in this industry and they drive the majority of the volume. So the, one of the things that's super important to us from a marketing perspective is building relationships with them, having an engagement plan, and making sure we are constantly communicating those key differentiators. So when someone walks into their store asking what they recommend or what helps with sleep or what they want for the weekend, our products are always top of mind. Um, differentiating in store goes a long way. Mm -hmm. The other place that we do work hard to differentiate is on our um, owned media platforms. So while we can buy programmatic and we do, uh, as long as it's targeted to 19 plus, most people uh, are actively, there's a number, a group of people who's actually doing research before they leave the house to figure out what to buy because the market is so confusing right now. Mm -hmm. So making sure we leverage our owned media platforms and keep them active. So our websites in all of our social media platforms, our newsletter um, goes a long way to be able to communicate our differentiation. You uh, so I'm really curious about the the, the field marketing and and um, and speaking to and educating and working with what are they called bud tenders? Is that yeah the, the phrase is used? Uh, <laughs> That's I love that. I, right love that. I just I love, <laughs> love that. This is a this is a field that 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 just has double entendre and 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 puns built in <laughs> for, for editors. This is the dream market to talk about. Um, so what are some of the things that you're able at that level working with um, with the bud tenders and understanding that actually it's the salesman at the at the, you know, at the very end of the supply chain um, and the marketing chain that really is is among the most powerful. What are the things that you can do at that level? So in Canada right now, we cannot sample. 
which I would say is like the number one thing I would want to do. And I believe there's some U.S. markets where you can. Mm. Um, but, you know, if you learn anything from CPG, it's like get them to try the product, right? Trial, then repeat. Mm. And that's one thing that we can't do. Um, so what we do instead is work hard to um, firstly offer as many points of education as possible. Uh, they are There are thousands of SKUs and it is hard to differentiate different strains from one another is hard for a bud tender to even um, remember all the strains. So education is number one. And we do that through in-store product knowledge sessions, um, you know, traditional content marketing. We've developed deep email lists by offering um, interesting content to our bud tenders and consistently uh, sending out and engaging with those email lists. And then the third one is community building. The one thing that I found so different um, in the cannabis industry versus previous roles I have is this sense of community, this sense that we're all building something new and leaving mm -hmm. this legacy together. Um, and bud tenders, especially those people on the retail floor who are talking to consumers, selling not only your product, but this industry day to day have so much passion inside them. Um, but many of them also want to do more with their lives than be uh, dispensary managers or store level staff. Mm -hmm. So what we've done is offered them this opportunity to kind of share their side hustle um, or, you know, given them platforms through our social media or events that we host, um, given them platforms to elevate themselves and appreciate them and show them that we know that they are the experts in the field. Uh, and that's actually gone a long way to differentiating. The other piece that we pull them in on is 10% for good. So we ask them to come volunteer with us. We ask them what mm -hmm. causes they care about, and it really helps us stay top of mind. That sort of segues into my next uh, question. By the way, not to be churlish about it, but but if 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 your bud tenders are having trouble remembering all of the SKUs, it may not be the sheer number of SKUs. <laughs> They're bud tenders after all. Um, yeah. But the um, uh, but I. I I wanted to ask you about about the ways in which um, your your six years of marketing at at General Mills um, and, and what principles still hold true here. Um, and it seems as if that when it comes to this field marketing effort and the bud tenders, it's really like this is the level at which you've got influencer marketing. This is a vast network of influencers, and some of the same principles apply here. I actually think a lot of the same principles apply. Um, as I think about, you know, influencer marketing, for sure, you know, the focus, at least that we had at General Mills on trade marketing and your in-store engagements, that's still hugely powerful in an industry where most people walk into a store and say, hey, I want some weed. What do you have? Mm -hmm. Right. No one. Most people are not going in asking for a specific strain or brand. They're just saying, so I'd like to smoke something today. How can you help me? Mm -hmm. um, so all of those, you know, in-store engagements and everything that you learn at a, or that's leveraged at CP, in a big CPG um, would remain here. And, you know, especially this idea of knowing your consumer deeply and understanding that you are for them and not for everyone and being okay with it is actually something that I think cannabis companies in general in Canada could do better at learning from their mm -hmm. CPG counterparts. It's one thing that I think um, 
we forget, you know, we want to be, everyone wants, as you do in CPG, like the biggest market share, the biggest revenue. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, remembering that you're not for everyone and that's okay. But if you do really well in your niche, you can still win. And having a deep, um, deep levels of empathy for your consumer, um, I think is something that on the cannabis side, uh, we can work on. But honestly, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the principles of marketing stay the same. I would say the big differences for me is firstly, that your consumer changes all the time. So, you know, I come from General Mills, which means I worked on, when I left, I was working on Cheerios in our cereal business. And honestly, the Cheerios consumer, while there may be small changes, like your consumer path to purchase, um, who they are, how you're one of the first foods. So the time in their life that you kind of get introduced it's pretty consistent over the past decades. <laughs> um, it's not the same for this industry. Given that we're so new, there's new people entering every day. Their shopping patterns change regularly, and COVID obviously had a massive impact on that. But even prior to COVID, um, your consumer patterns change. So you have to constantly be learning and constantly be iterating. And that was you know, a big change for me as someone who would historically hold my Um, brand truths and consumer truths as kind of this thread of steel that would never change. Mm -hmm. That's harder to do in the cannabis market. Is there anything that you think CPGs could learn from cannabis marketers? Things that you're doing, um, you have the opportunity to do, or something that's having a deep impact on consumers that you think maybe the CPGs could follow? I think a lot of it's boils down to this idea. And I think CPGs are striving for it. I just don't think most of them are there yet. Um, But I think there's two key ideas. Firstly, this idea of being super agile. I think you see it in a lot of direct-to-consumer companies, tons of startups, but it's truly this idea that you can't just hold on to one truth in this world where, you know, news comes up every day. Massive societal trends are coming up as like 2020 is just an example that I'm not even going to delve into. Um, But, you know, when I was in CPG, there was this idea of like holding tightly to your consumer truth and that like thread of steel that will keep your brand consistent over time. And in cannabis, I've learned that we need to grow up with our consumers. You know, if you want to retain them, it's like know who you're for, only be for them. But if they change, like look at yourself and say, how should I change too? I might not be perfect and that's okay. Let me show my consumer that I can grow with them. Yeah, light up and 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 relax a little. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's sort of the lesson for CPG is you know yeah. have a, have a toke. <laughs> <laughs> the the other thing that I did take away, and I mean, I think it, at CPG we know the power of one to one marketing, um, but I found given the you know pressures on budget, the efficiency of digital. Um, Honestly, when I was there, like I didn't focus on it as much. Um, And I think all of those are still true, but especially in cannabis, when you have a product that is um, that you need to educate on, that you need to spend um, a lot of time comforting people's fears or learning about their needs, like the power of one to one marketing of events, um, it just goes such a long way. And I think Mm. there's lots of CPGs out there that know it and leverage it, but at least when at General Mails, we had moved towards, you know, having those one-to-one engagements be a much smaller portion of our budget. And I think that 
in cannabis, what I'm learning is that is how you develop that truly loyal consumer who will come back every single day to purchase your product, defend you online, defend you on Reddit, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and just really be that um, super loyal consumer. Well, thank you very much. Kayla Roken, VP of Marketing at Trek Brands. This has been a great education and a lot of fun. We really appreciate it. I think it's going to take a while for us to see the U.S. market evolve in the way that Canada already, um, uh, what Canada already has achieved. I mean, we've got um, we've got just a mess when it comes to the cannabis market here. I couldn't even tell you what the policies in my own state are. Uh, and I think most people can't. But at some point, I think what you guys are doing in Canada is going to become more commonplace here. But thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Hopefully, when you figure out your uh, the regulations in your state, which I cannot yeah. speak to, we'll get you kind of back on the bandwagon. That's right. <laughs> well, thank you. thank Kayla, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is really fun. And thanks for tuning in to Media Post Brand Insider Podcast. You can keep up to date with breaking marketing and media news at MediaPost.com. That's also where you can subscribe to the Brand Insider newsletter, where highlighted versions of these interviews can go to your email inbox each week. If you have any comments or suggestions for the Brand Insider series, please send them to me, Steve, at MediaPost.com.